Ashley Rock reading Diana Palmer's book, Dangerous, Chapter 5. John was in the middle of a long telephone call about a pending case when Jocelyn stuck her head in the door. Her blue eyes had some sparkle in them, rare for her these days, but when she saw that he was on the phone, she held up a hand and went back out. Curious, he ended the conversation and walked into the outer office. Something, he asked. She grinned, holding out a sheet of paper. He took it. His eyebrows looked in surprise. Dan Jones, he stared at her. Who's Dan Jones and why am I reading his rap sheet? He's your DB in the Little Commercial River in Jacobsville, he said. I checked the state records for anyone recently paroled, narrowed it down to ten possibles who hadn't checked in with their parole officers lately, and requested DNA evidence to be sent to Alice Jones to compare with the DNA they pulled out of the victim. And there he was, Dan Jones. He smiled. It was rare for him to do it, and extraordinary that he smiled at Jocelyn, who was his nemesis. She stared at him as if she didn't recognize him. The smile made him look so different. His black eyes sparkled. His white purple teeth remind me to put in a request for raising your salary for you, Miss Perry. He said, I'll note your contribution to the case as well. Thanks, he said. Dan Jones turned one back into his office, his mind working in over. Get my brother on the phone, will you? Yes, sir. Kilraven was on fire with the news once he got it. Spent the next two hours trying to track down Rick Marquise's partner, Gail Roger. She'd gone to the scene of a suicide dispatch that gave him the address after he told them. Not quite truthful that he, he was working the case with her. The uniformed officer at the apartment door tried to stop Kilraven, but he just waved his federal badge at them and kept walking. The victim was lying face down on the sofa. There was a very large knife sticking out of his back. Kilraven glanced at the female detective. I thought you said that you were at the scene of a suicide, Rogers, he remarked. Sure, suicide. He obviously stabbed himself in the back. She pulled her eyes. Sure, you can do you can do that. You just have to have Sure, you can do that. You just have to have really long arms. Alice Jones, whose last name was now Fowler, told her, walking into the room with an evidence bag she just collected. Behind her was the photographer who was recording the scene. Another crime scene technician was using a vacuum collection system to suction possible trace evidence in the form of hair and fiber from the carpet around the body. And still another had an ultraviolet flashlight with which he was searching for trace of blood and bodily fluids on nearby surfaces. What are you doing in here messing up my crime scene, Kill Raven? She added, This isn't a federal suicide. From where I'm standing, this isn't a suicide, period. Kill Raven returned. His wife says it is. In fact, she saw him do it. His eyes knew it. She did. Yes, that was just before the two headed cat flew in the window and attacked her. It was. They took her down to the county. The doctor said, by the way, at the hospital. For a psych evaluation? Yes. The detox. She snorted enough meth to put two men in the morgue. From the look of it, people who could make meth should be, people who make meth should be hung up by their noses and left to rot. He said coldly. Create a need and then supply it. That's how the song goes. Gail yeah, said solemnly. Her doctor said, my ex-husband knew every drug known to man and used most of them. I had no idea until we were on our honeymoon, and he tried to get me to shoot up. I left him that very week. Love does blind us, Alice interjected. <sighs> you know, newly married Alice, she teased. 
Harley and I have cats, said his boss, Cy Parks, gave us a seabull and several heifers, and they were filled once. <laughs> Kill room blink, excuse me. Well, if a heifer is open when she's not pregnant, doesn't it make sense that she's filled when she is? He, <laughs> she asked. Kill room, just like he said. We learn something new every day. Now, what's know what the difference is between a bull and a steer? She continued with a cocky cream grunt he gave her a it. I own half of the biggest cattle ranch in Lawton, Oklahoma, Alice. I grew up on a horse. This really, she explained. My brother just called me with the news about Dan Jones. Nice work. I told you I had skills, Alice reminded. It's amazing to me that I'm not in demand as a technical advisor to any number of programs about autopsies on television. She frowned up like, heck, I'm amazed that they aren't after me to star in one of them. I'm young. I'm gorgeous. I'm... Is anybody listening to me? She opened her own door. We're trying not to, Alice. Kill her instead of the river. Fine. I'll just go about Simon Carl's on my own. Unappreciated. Unloved. Shall I tell Harley you said that? He asked. She made a face at him and left the room. That DNA match was really good, Alice. He called after. No need trying to butter me up, Kill Raven. I'm not listening. It was good work. But it doesn't help much yet. Detective Rogers said it's good work, but it doesn't help much yet. Detective Rogers said a minute later. We have a name and a rap sheet, but there's a lot of work left to do in order to connect him with anybody. We'll get there. I want to know if you've had any luck questioning witnesses around the motel or the victim. Nobody knows anything, she said. Well, let me rephrase that. Nobody knows anything for free, and I'm broke until payday. I can bankroll you if you're willing to go back, he said. I hate paying informants, but I can't really see any straight-up way to get information in this case. And I'm not really sure that they'll say anything if we pay for it, she added. One of the guys I talked to said we were sticking our noses in places even cops shouldn't go. That sounds interesting. I'd take bullets if I went out, suggested from the other. I always take bullets, kill Raven informant. When I finish up here, Roger said, we can go back to the motel and see if a few photos of Ben Franklin. One currency will open any mouse. You're, you're on. See you, Alice, he called to the woman in the other room, who waved a hand in his general direction. The motel where Dan had been living was a seedy, sad little affair on the wrong side of town. It's one enticed excitement to the poor was the low cost of housing. On the other hand, customers had to share space with any number of small furry rodents, long-legged bugs. There were five men living in the hotel, only two of whom were long-term residents. One of them knew Dan Jones, but took several photos of Ben Franklin to get him inside his room. Several more to overcome his survival sense. He was elderly, looked half-starved, and wore glasses so that Kilraven was dubious about his ability to even see his visitors. Bad people he was mixed up with, the old man told him. Real bad. He said he couldn't stay any place long because they were trying to shoot, shut him up. He knew things. He, he wouldn't say what, but he said he wanted to go straight and they weren't going to let him. He had a girl, a nice girl, he said. She was real religious and wanted him to go to church with her. He liked it. said he thought he could make up for some of the things he did. She said, I knew he'd never live. Once he said that name, I knew they'd kill him. He gave Kilraven a hard look. You just make sure you say, I never told you nothing, or they'll find me in some mouth. 
I won't tell anyone. Kill Raven Thorns. What name did he say? He had to say, What name? He's like, Hank Saunders, he said finally. Kill Raven's Jolton, Senator Saunders' little brother. That's the one. Law can't touch him. He's got powerful friends. You watch. We'll never get the guys who killed Dan. They can cover up any crime they want to. You just watch your own back, so we'll get you too. Nobody smart kills a cop. Kill Raven yeah, well, these guys don't build rockets, came the weary reply. Kill Raven handed him another Franklin and walked out with the detective. Now what? she asked with a sigh. Now what indeed? How do we investigate the brother of a senator for a possible homicide? Call some reporters? Oh no. I'm not going to be a nightly news snack. Once they latch onto this cold case, there will be an autopsy photos of my wife and child on every tabloid from here to New York City. Yeah, no. We have to play this close to the chest. I'll see what I can dig up on the senator's brother. Suppose you see if any of your informants know anything about Dan Jones and his pals. I'll do that. She was quiet and thoughtful for a minute. They stood just outside the motel in the chilly night air, the neon sign missing two letters of the word motel. It seemed to emphasize the hopelessness of the building, old and in need of much repair. The owner obviously couldn't or wouldn't afford I hope I never end up in a place like this, Kill Raven said to Me too, although I've lived in worse places in years past. She said with a soft laugh. She looked up at the national. I want to do something dangerous. Like dive off a building or something, he asked with twinkle in his eyes. She said, no, I mean, I want to reopen the case of that teenager who was found in similar conditions to our Jacobsville murder victim seven years ago. He was instantly summoned. You think they may be linked to our cold case? She nodded. Just a hunch. I don't have inside information or anything, but I've got a feeling. I have a friend in Jacobsville who has those same hunches. Saved my life once. He recalled thinking about when mine might end in tragedy. She said with a sudden flash of insight. It's very risky, but I think it may be a piece in the puzzle. His eyes narrowed. You think there may be a tie to the senator? I don't have a scrap of evidence that points to him. Just a hunch. She was very young, she recalled. She went off supposedly to meet a boy she was dating. Turned up dead in an unspeakable condition. Just before you lost your family. Looking like our mysterious Dan Jones when his body was found. It may be a coincidence. On the other hand, never heard to play the odds, he think. I'll get right on it. You watch your back, she had a grin. I'd hate to have to identify you by DNA. You by DNA. So would my brother, he replied smiling, you know. I'll be in touch. Winnie knew something was going on with Killraven, but she didn't know exactly what. He'd gone to San Antonio to see his brother and Marquis, female partner. Before that, he spent time with Rick at his house. She wished she knew Killraven well enough to ask him what was happening. They weren't getting any inside information at dispatch, and that alone was disturbing. They usually had some tidbits about any case that was being worked, even ones up in San Antonio. She was still floating on air from that hard, sweet kiss, hoping it wasn't going to be an isolated incident. He was the first and only man she ever had such feelings for. She hoped that he felt the same way, but he hadn't phoned her or looked in at Barbara's Cafe where she had lunch most days. In fact, he was conspicuous by his absence. The holidays were over. She and Keely had taken down the beautiful Christmas ornaments and packed them away, along with the other decorations in the tree. The house looked cold and bare. 
Jacob's also had its tinsel and bells and Christmas trees on light poles, along with garlands of fir and holly. But those artificial leftovers generally didn't come down until the middle of January. They made Winnie sad. She'd hoped she might see Kilraven during the holidays, but if his cold case was heating up, she could understand that he'd want it to be in the middle of it. She should have realized how single-minded he was about the past. She didn't. Kilraven had barely noticed Christmas Day. John came by and brought him a diamond tie tack. He returned the gift with one of his own, a rare print of running horses that John had been looking for. Kilraven had found it on the internet months ago and brought it. Then he had it framed and kept it in his closet for the big day. Don't you even put up a tree in your apartment, John had exclaimed. Looking around at the bare apartment, there wasn't even a photograph on display. No paintings, nothing personal at all. Just gym equipment in one bedroom, job-related computers and monitors in another, gaming consoles, and then the bare necessities of furniture in the living room and dining room, with a fully equipped kitchen where John sometimes whipped up gourmet dishes for both men. It's just a place to sleep. I've been busy trying to run down leads. John's eyes and what I hear is that you've been driving people nuts trying to get them to work your cold case above pressing new murders. Hey, it's the first break we've had in seven years, he said defensively in his face. It should have been worked until it was solved when it was fresh. I won't argue that, but you know what it's like trying to get your best to do dozen cases at a time. And with grieving relatives, you want blood and tears from the perps. I know that. Kilburn said Tyler, this is personal. John Mickles, don't start obsessing again, he said quietly. Took over your life for three years after it happened. I don't want to see you falling back into that abyss. I'm going to solve it, he told his brother, no matter what the cost. Whoever killed my little girl is going to pay for it with his blood. John understood how he felt. He didn't know what to say. It was such a personal matter. They've had weeks. They know the guy's name, where he lived, when he was involved that he was involved with a woman who worked for Senator Fowler, that he went to church nearby. For God's sakes, there are church members, other employees who worked for the senator, people who lived at the motel he stayed at. I heard about the resident who was, shall we say, compensated for information, John said. That's not good police work. Hey, whatever works, he shot back. He was the only man my detective could find who was willing to say anything at all, and he was scared to death even to whisper certain names. Like the name of Junior Senator's brother, John said. Exactly. John stuck his hand in his Mac, I'm not saying it's a bad lead, but if the case ever comes to trial, that paid informer is going to come back to haunt you. One broken link in a chain of evidence can let a murderer walk. Kel Raven's silver eyes were lawless. Who says he'll even get to trial? He asked in a tone so soft, with menace that it made the hair on the back of John's neck stand up. If you act outside the law, you'll go to prison, John said quietly. Don't do it. Don't even think about it. We have the rules of law, and it works. Not all the time. Vigilante law has been known to kill innocents, John reminded You don't want to run off half-cocked and finger the wrong person, do you? Kill Raven's face was like stone. I want justice. Good. So do it. Stop taking. Stop talking like some old West desperado. Have you ever read a real history of the old Texas lawmen on the border in the early 1800s? John asked. Who hasn't? One Texan with a badge could walk into a town across the border 
and the residents would run away screaming when they saw just the bags, she replied. Those old-timers had to be tough to stay alive, Kilraven. You're missing the point. Which is... You can carry a thread so far that instead of respecting the law, you create panic and fear. Whatever works, the old man repeated. John sighed over. I can't talk to you about a dozen other subjects and you're the soul of rationality. On well, this one, you aren't even coherent. Look at the autopsy to photos. I'll give you coherence. John, I moved closer. laid a big hand on his brother. Nobody knows better what you went through than I do. He said quietly. I'll help you any way I can. If you step outside the law, no one will be able to. You understand? Kill Raven softened. Just for a minute. John was a hard case, but he really cared about his sibling. And Kill Raven knew it. He managed to smile. I could have done worse for a brother than you. He said, John. Yes. Me too. The closest thing they come to expressing the real affection they had for each other. Neither man was known for public displays of private emotions. Now it was January, cold and barren and dry. Kilraven glared at the flat horizon with its gray skies and sky trees lifting bare limbs over a frosty ground. He felt dead as Kilraven felt dead inside. He was sorry he hadn't at least phone with me over the holidays. Every year leading the case kept him pacing the floor and waiting for phone calls. Now that he waited long, not that he waited long, every homicide detective in San Antonio recognized his cell phone number by now, and they hung up the minute it flashed on the screen. Damn it, he muttered, throwing the phone at his leather sofa after his latest attempt at communication. Got him a quick click, followed by a busy signal. No sooner had it hit. Then it started ringing. He grabbed it up. Maybe one of the detectives was psychic. Hello? He said, I have news. John said, Remember I told you that I had Miss Perry research Dan Jones, no associates? Yes, you found something. I did indeed. The junior senator's brother engaged Mr. Jones as a gopher. The connection, finally. Okay, hold it right there, John said, you can't jump in and blow the whole investigation. We have to go slow. Yeah, they're having this too. Damn! I know how impatient you are, John told him quietly. You don't want us to blow a murder case by intimidation and threats, do you? Kill Raven was silent. Do you? Of course not. He said on the heavy side. Good. Now take a deep breath and promise me you won't go rushing over to the evil brothers later. And start knocking him through walls, trying to pin the murders on him. Kill Raven let out of breath. I promise we have to go at him sideways. First, we pin down exactly what task Dan Jones was known to do for him, whether any of them involved intimidation or worse. Then we have to find witnesses who saw it and are willing to talk. The informant at the motel might know more. Anything you get with bribes will be a banquet for the purpose of fence team, Colin said sternly. Kilraven quieted down. I guess so, he said irritable. You know so. What you can do is find a way to talk to the senator's wife, John added. We know that she's afraid of her husband's brother. We don't know why. We need some way to dig information out of her without making her suspicious. They have vacation property in the Bahamas, Kilraven said. I, I could fly down there. She won't talk to you, John said. I know, because I've tried. I'm going to, it's going to take a woman. 
Kilbert is talking. The Sinclairs owns property in Nasi. Yes, they do. In fact, their property is just down the beach from the Senators. I had Miss Perry dig that out for me. And we have a ranch in Lawton where the Senators' home place where his grandfather was born. They vacation there sometimes as well. Winnie Sinclair might be willing to help. We could go down there together. John's Boyster, if you take her down to Nasi and share her beach house, gossip would get back to Jacobsville. Her reputation is spotless. It would be a shame to put a blemish on it. Kilraver was thinking, not quite rationally. We could get a nice ceremony at City Hall the day before we left for the Bahamas, followed by a nice annulment the day we came home. John glared up. A woman's crazy about you for what I hear. Even if you couldn't be that cold-hearted to think of marrying her temporarily just to help in a murder investigation. I was kidding. Kill her. Look, I might ask her to fly down there and accidentally run into the senator's wife and have lunch or something. She might be able to find out something we can't. It might put her in the line of fire, too, John Hawking. Kill her. presses it. More reason than I should be on hand just in case. Charles threw up his hands. I can't talk to you. Sure you can. It's a great idea. I'll go work on it. I didn't mean it that way, Johnson. Max, we can't use people who care about you. Why not? Everybody else does. It's face on. My daughter is dead. Somebody killed her and walked away like it never happened. I want somebody to pay for it. Somebody's going to pay for it, no matter what I have to do to get an arrest in this case. No matter who you have to sacrifice to do it. John asked him, twisting what I said. Not really. Kill Raven Squarishaw. Winnie's got a crush on me. She's too young to feel anything stronger than that. He said the dismissing her feelings. She'd be thrilled to have a marriage license in her hands, even if it was for only a couple of weeks. We'd solve the case, get a moment, and go back to our lives. Mac, like a date, only we'd live together briefly. She has a brother who eats live snakes, John Trump. I know Boone Sinclair. You do not want him on your neck. He's special spec ops in Iraq, and he has skills that could match yours. He's very protective of his sister. I'm not going to hurt Winnie, kill her in rage. For God's sakes, what we'll a vacation together. What's the sinister about that? A vacation where your troller is bait to catch the senator's wife. You said we can't get her to talk because we're men. Okay, Winnie's a female. You don't even know if she'll do it. John said, but if you ask her, for God's sakes, tell her the truth, and tell her it's risky, because it is. You could be putting her life on the line. Just for talking to a senator's wife, he's got, don't be so alarmist. I have to be. You're not thinking straight. You're too bullheaded about this case to be logical, and you're too logical to feel revenge. John shook his head. No, I'm not. I saw them, too. Melly was a very special child. I may not have liked her mother, but I loved her, just as you did. I don't want somebody to get away with killing her either. Kill him relax. I'll talk to Winnie. Do that, but be honest, okay? Okay. All the way to Jacobsville, he was thinking of ways to sell Winnie on the idea without telling her too much. John was all business, but Kill Raven's heart was bleeding all over again from the memory of what he seen that long ago rainy night when he intercepted a homicide call and found his family dead. He'd had nightmares for years. He heard Melly call for him, scream for him to save her, and he tried to get up, 
but he was held down by ropes and he couldn't get loose. The same dream, night after night, with the screams in his ears. He dived headfirst into a whiskey bottle for several weeks afterward. John had saved him from going even further downhill by getting him into a treatment facility. Fortunately, his bosses had understood his behavior. Counseling and time off had given him the opportunity to pretend to the world that he was over the desk, well-adjusted and ready to go back to work. Nothing was farther from the truth, but he learned the highest feelings. He was good at it by now. He'd taken some of the most dangerous jobs he could find in a fiddle effort to get the horrible pictures out of his mind. The CIA had taken him on with reservation, but discovered that he was an asset with his knowledge of foreign languages. Like his brother, John, who spoke Farsi and several Arabic dialects, in addition to Spanish, French, Russian, German, and even Lokesu. If he wore colored contacts, he was olive-skinned and dark-eyed enough to pass for somebody Middle Eastern, and he had, working covertly and sometimes with foreign governments to ferret out information vital to national security. His specialty had been kidnapping cases which was why he'd gone undercover in Jacobsville about the time General Emilio Machino went missing and showed up in Mexico. The general had nabbed first Gracie March and then Jason Pendleton in an effort to regain his government in South America. He was friendly to the U.S. and not the same sort of tyrant who had power there now. Kilraven had been looking for him but hadn't realized where he was until he got involved with Rodrigo Ramirez and the DEA on a drug case, and voila, there was Machino. He'd solved that case. Now he had something much more personal to pursue during this, his leave of absence. All he needed were the tools to solve it. One of them was Winnie Sinclair, and he was going to get her to help, no matter what he had to do, even if it meant using her own feelings for him in the process. The only thing that mattered was bringing his daughter's killer to justice any way he could. He could still see her the last day of her little life. She started toward the car where her mother was waiting impatiently to take her to daycare, but she turned suddenly. She ran back to Kilraven with her black hair flying, laughing, her arms outstretched. Picked her up, swung her around and kissed her. I love you, Daddy, she whispered and kissed him in the back. Always remember. He could barely see the road for the film in his eyes. Always remember. They were the most painful words of all now because he remembered what had happened just a few hours later. He would never see those black eyes sparkle or hear that musical little laugh or open his arms for Melly to run into, during a harsh breath, swallowed down the hard lump in his throat. His hands went white where they gripped the steering wheel, three years old, and some heartless intruder had killed her. Somehow, he swore someday, someone was going to pay the price for that murder, and he was going to make it happen. He didn't care if it cost him his job or even his life. The killer was going to be brought to justice. The end of chapter 5.